Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Bottom of the Bill. This week, we have Cross. That's his artist name, Cross. He's a phenomenal bass player. He's played with blues legends such as James Cotton, hip-hop legends such as Cypress Hill. He's just an awesome dude, very talented guy. Uh, he's done a lot of his own music, uh, a lot of production stuff. He owned a record label and helped uh, up-and-coming artists uh, with their endeavors. He's done just uh, span the entire industry. He's really an interesting guy to talk to. Um, it's always interesting when you go in not knowing the person that you're interviewing. So uh, you just never know how it's going to go. And this one went phenomenally well. I really thought we were just like hanging with our really good friend. Enjoy the episode. Uh, this is Cross, phenomenal bass player. You're going to dig this. All right, guys, this episode is brought to you by Best Buds CBD Store. If you're like me, maybe THC isn't always the right high for you. Or maybe the legal status of THC has you a bit hesitant to indulge. So at Best Buds CBD Store, they have an array of CBD and Delta 8 THC products. These guys truly care about their service, so everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top-notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD. Uh, not to mention if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B-O-T-B-POD, you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, uh, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to bestbudscbdstore.com and start saving on all of your CBD and Delta A products. Enjoy, guys. All right. Well, uh, Cross, thank you so much for being with us today, man. We appreciate it. I'm really curious as to how you and Chris met somewhere, right? Because that's how that's how this all happened. Uh, so I'm just curious as to how that went down and like how it's been, you know, tr turned into this like awesome thing for us for you to just be on our podcast. Oh, man. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you guys having me. We Chris, I'm trying to remember the name of the venue. Um, my my family lives in Jacksonville, and um, well, my brother, my brother and his uh, wife and uh, family there in Jacksonville. So uh, I was just getting a little antsy. I was like, man, is there is there any place around where you know I could possibly sit in or so? Because I was uh, performing a few days before in at Port St. Joe at the uh, forgotten music festival there so my brother came down and we ended up driving back because of the confusion with the airline ah <laughs> they had yeah I, I can't remember it was panama something that i'm supposed that I was supposed to have flown out of and they had me flying out of panama panama not panama beach oh so. my god <laughs> That was the 1904 Funk Jam that I host on Mondays. Yeah, yeah man. You sh I remember I, you strolled in and we're hanging out and, uh, you know, just like uh, jumped up and sat in. But you performed like a, like a mofo when you got up there, man. Like, we pre like, you know how jams go. You can they can be hit or miss a little bit. And you started yeah. you started running that stage and we're like, all right, he's done this before. And it was a blast. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It's a good time. 
Yeah, it, well, it, was, it was inspiring because you guys, man, y'all were killing. And I was like, if I don't bring my A game <laughs> up there, <laughs> so I'm just going to get embarrassed by you guys. So you, yeah, I had to, I'd step to the plate. So you guys killed. <laughs> yeah, people, uh, people sleep on Jacksonville. We're doing our best here to, to change that. We've got some killer players here, man. It really is oh. like a city that it's definitely a hidden gem kind of city because there's a lot of fantastic players, a lot of cool things that are kind of happening that people just might not be totally aware of. But that's kind of why we do this podcast is try and shine a light on, on all that. And hopefully, you know, guys like you and 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 peers uh, at that level, um, you know, take notice and can kind of help put the city on the map with us. You know what I mean? Any, definitely anything I could do, especially, you know, I've been, I grew up in, uh, I didn't grow up there but I spent a lot of time in Jacksonville when I was a kid. So, so I have a little bit of a history history there, and I've seen it grown since. Uh, it's been a while since I've been there. So, and I won't tell you the exact year. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get it out of you at some point tonight. Don't worry. Yeah. Like, whoa, that's way back. That's before I was born. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but it was, uh, it's, it's, it's grown big time because uh, when my brother took me to, to the location where the club was, I was like, man, I don't think any of this stuff was here uh, back then. Now, I was, I was a little shorty, but yeah. I mean, yeah, it's grown in the last seven years. That I I moved here seven years ago, and it's grown even since then. So it's uh, it's recording very, very cool in to progress. See. What what was that sound? Nothing. Okay. Um. Anyways, so where where are you uh, staying at these days? Where what city are you based out of? Oh, I'm uh in Phoenix. At, well, I'm in Glen. I'm sorry. I'm in Glendale, Arizona. But you know, when I say Glendale, folks are like, where? Yeah, I get it. So it's it's, a, it's close to uh, Phoenix. Uh, really close. It's about maybe 10, 15 minutes from from downtown Phoenix. Okay. And I mean, that's definitely close enough to, to claim Phoenix, I would say. I, I'm, oh. from, I'm from a suburb right in between Miami and Fort Lauderdale called Pembroke Pines. And it's, oh, okay. and it's like maybe 30 minutes outside of downtown Miami, about 25 mm -hmm. out, outside of downtown Fort Lauderdale. And I just go ahead and tell yeah. people I'm from Miami because it's just easier. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so... Yeah. Your uh, resume is absolutely wild. How did you get linked up with uh, the, you know, the, the people that you've worked with over the years? And I'm just curious about just the experiences in general. It seems like you've had such such a robust career at this point. Yeah, well, it's 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 um kind of a, a lot of things I learned from my my brother, uh, who's a drummer, and uh, his best friend, who's. Uh, considered my my big brother is uh larry williams uh bass player also but I, i've learned a lot from them when i was a kid and the the big thing that i learned was always be true to to who you are and uh to your craft and everything in between it and constantly network and never you know if you never have an ego because there's always someone that played better than you. So I've uh, kept all of that with me. So over the years, and I was one of those kids that, you know, when I was little, I didn't talk to anybody. I was afraid to talk to people. But now it's like it's the difference between night and day from silent silence to this gregarious person that's, you know, everyone 
he's he, he would I would go up to even if I don't know him. I'm like, hey, how you doing? Blah blah blah, so on and so forth. And a quick story on that one was uh, I can't remember her name right now, but. Me and my friend were walking down the street and I was like, man, this gorgeous lady is coming in the other direction. I'm just going to say hello to her. Turns out it was Rod Stewart's background vocalist. Oh, my God. And uh, Yeah. So we we talked and she invited us to this show. So I got a chance to uh, briefly meet uh, Rod Stewart and see his show. So, wow. Uh, it's just, you know, the, the thing that I've learned is always keep keep options open. I've... Um, went from the military bands outside of the military bands to other other groups um, that were just starting out. And, um, you know, for me, my, my parents always pushed me and wanted me to be, you know, whatever I wanted to be, as long as it wasn't a musician. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Get a real job, you know, type of thing. Yeah. It, so, you know, everyone that I've met, I'm, you know, even if they were down on themselves, I'm like, man, you know, don't don't beat yourself up, you know, keep pushing. And some artists that I've 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 t had those serious conversations with, they ended up growing. And hey, man, look, I'm uh, opening it up for um Bill Withers or opening up for this other other artists. I would love for you to come down and just 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 hang. And so it's it, it was networking and just being being who you are, I guess. Yeah, man. I'm curious. Like that's a great mentality to have. And I think it's interesting for a group of people like musicians who can kind of be introverted, like as you started out in your early life and me even to this day have a hard time just getting out sometimes because you get in your own head and you don't really want to yeah. deal with things. But can you speak to some of the reasons why, like, do you ever feel like there's this, this kind of negative connotation with the idea of networking and like, you know, this kind of mentality with, with musicians or just people in general where, where they almost feel like, the idea of networking is kind of like slimy or grimy or whatever, you know, does that, have you ever encountered that at all? I have, but it's, uh, for me, I've, I've been doing it for so long that I've been able to kind of sniff out that in folks that are the, the slimy ones that are, you know, the hidden agendas. And it, and again, it's, um, kind of a, I'm not a Buddhist, but it's kind of one of those, you know, Buddha type thing where you're you're 100 percent comfortable with who you are and being that 100 percent of who you are. And for me, I don't really have a hidden agenda. Like if I want to meet an artist, that's just it. I want to meet him. I'm not trying to, you know, hey, man, here's my card. Let me uh, do a gig <laughs> with you or, so, you know, right. something like that. It's just you know, over time, it's like, I've, you know, I respect your, your, your art. I listen to your music and uh, I just want to shake your hand. That's about it. And uh, I'll leave it at that. But I've definitely seen that in folks, even with uh, record labels and with um, some agents and people that you, you want to work with to handle the business side where they're like, oh, don't, hey, is this agreement? Well, you know, I need to speak speak with my attorney. Yeah, you don't need to speak with your attorney. It's all good. Right. It's, you know, it's just, 
it's it's what it is. But this here says perpetuity and uh, you know, <laughs> right servitude and all of this. And it's like I I have no clue as to what that means. But I need to find someone that does. You know, they they spend their time doing that. And right. So, but there there have been. There have been instances and cases and situations that that I've seen, I've witnessed, especially with 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 females that, you know, a, a female has to be a little bit more alert. Yeah, man. So, I, so you made a really good point. It's something I've been thinking about a lot over the last few days. I was in a. I literally just flew in. Uh, right now uh, from uh, New York. I was just up there visiting and just trying to do the networking mm. thing, quote unquote. Uh, I was just thinking about it and I was like, man, I'm I'm running around this town right now out here going to like, you know, different places where musicians are playing, jam sessions, et cetera, and just trying to talk to people. And I started thinking, I was like, well, if I was a woman right now, particularly like a, uh, you know, a very good looking woman, um, yep. it would be nearly impossible to know whether or not this interaction is genuine because there's always the ulterior motive, right? It's in such a male dominated yeah. uh, kind of side of things. Uh, Cause I, any, everyone that I spoke to was, uh, was a male. And yeah. it's just one of those things where you're like, there's already a barrier to entry in massive cities like that. I can't imagine having that, that, you know, that one more barrier to entry where you kind of have to be re- very fierce and assertive in your intentions. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, it can get it can get a little dicey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the scary part, because even if you have someone that's like, hey, it, it, you know, again, a female, if, hey, I love your singing. There are some pointers I could give you. You should come over to my place. Right. And, uh, we should work out some stuff and, you know, we could hang out for some drinks and then, you know, go to uh, go to a nice, dark, seedy club. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I could work on some stuff with you. Right. You know, so. You know, again, I have a, I have a, I have a granddaughter. So for me, it's that concerned man making her aware of situations. Don't, don't do this, don't do that. And she's, she's four now, but she's got perfect pitch. And and wow. when she sings, I'm like, Jesus, what the, where did you come from? <laughs> so it's, you know, get, getting her ready. And so between me, my son, and her mom. It's like uh, on the intellectual side, on the intuition side and on um, just being just being a female, being a being a girl. It's, um, you know, like I've talked to my son about getting her involved in martial arts. Yeah. And for any type of situation that comes up and arises that she's she's ready for. Oh, man. Super important, especially. Even just on 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 just speaking to the martial art thing, even just on the discipline side of it, like just yeah. understanding, you know, short of going to the military, like martial arts requires a certain kind of discipline that you can kind of uh, translate to other areas of your life, and music being one of them. I feel like I feel like music requires such a discipline, and I think that the, you know, kind of learning that disciplinary. Uh, mindset through other forms can really help you integrate it into music because it's so easy to get caught up in the lifestyle of being a musician and just seeing yeah. the amount of people that are out there not really putting in the time where you might not yeah. realize early on the importance of having the discipline to focus on your craft. So getting it from somewhere yeah. else, I feel like can really help ju- jumpstart somebody in, in this, in this career, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree with you. When I was younger, that's what I, that's what I did. 
I didn't have much much of a social <laughs> social life as a kid, as a teenager, even up to like 19 or 20. It wasn't until I got into the military. Uh, was I started off in the Navy and uh, just going in and out of these different countries. It just opened my eyes. And I was with old school. I was with the Navy band, but I was with old school seasoned musicians. So, you know, the ones that were drinking it just, you know, look, you can't hang with the big dogs if you're right. pissing with the pups. So, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> with the pups, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was... It was it was a lot that I learned from there, and I wanted to get back to you on the the network thing. Um, the the hardest thing, one of the things that I learned from uh, growing up and going over to New York or going to LA, going to other other countries, is some of some of the musicians that I met were were genuine, and they wanted to help, but some some they considered you a threat, mm-hmm. and so they were very standoffish because they're like, oh, well, you're you're gunning for, you know, I'm a guitar player, you're a guitar player, so that's going to be too much con- competition. And and to me, it's it's not about the competition thing. It's about you know we're we're considered a family, a band, an artist, uh, music musicians are more close to being family than anything else, and we're supposed to be there to help uh, uplift. And uh, you know, help that help that artist because you never know that artist may be the next Stevie Ray Vaughan, and he'll remember that. He's like, oh man, dude, I remember, I remember uh, Cross, and we had this long conversation, and he turned me on to some gigs, and and it kind of helped my career. And I'm not gonna forget that he was genuine to me, and I think that's that's important because it, it, it's not about the ego, it's not about competition because everyone's voice is totally different and even if it's the same it's still my voice is maybe a pinch different than yours and it's just a different it's it's different totally well the idea you know of, of like competition in in music i mean it some friendly competition i don't think is, is a bad thing to have i think it makes us all want to be better but then to, you know more to your point about us trying to help each other and be like this extended family because we're all in this grind together and it and what a unique grind it is which is why i think it's important for us to keep that mentality of wanting to support each other there's also this thing yeah. where it's like if you are putting off this negative vibe of like you're trying to take my gig i don't want to help you or you know find your own way type shit like first off you know that that's not you know that you had people that didn't do that to you right so like why would yeah. you want to be that way to somebody else number one but yeah. also there's just like the energy that you exude that either repels or draws people to you so if you're sitting there putting off this yeah. defensive energy like you know everything is sacred and it's mine it's and not for you then you ultimately just repel like people and, and ultimately yeah. opportunities right so you might be doing well right now uh and then you know you keep putting that energy off and you're just going to repel every opportunity and person that could help you out down the line and if you're more accepting and willing it's all going to kind of come to you at some point you know so it's kind of like a give and take I think. Oh, it is. It is. And it's, it's, you never know how the universe is going to work for you, how it's going to shift things around. A quick story. Yeah, please. Uh, I, I was uh, 19 ish, 20. I was um, in Japan and it was my first uh, duty station. It was uh, with the Navy, uh, Seventh Fleet Navy Band. 
And uh, so for me, I was, I've always been that curious kid. I was the one that drove, <laughs> you know, I, I drove my parents crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, everyone in my family, they were like, oh, he's just the weird kid. He's, you know, I, I never, you know, if I was in a new place, I'm like, okay, I got to see what's out there. What's out there? Blah, blah, blah. I got to know. I got to know. So uh, I would take the uh, trains in uh, Japan. So there was one night that I took took the trains and out of the blue, there was this guy, I swear he looked like a, a homeless guy. He was a black guy. And he he looked like he was going to ask for money. Now that could go in two directions. Either walk by him, ignore him, or, you know, stop and say hello. And so that's what I did. I stopped and I was like, hey, how you doing? He's like, hey, young brother, blah, blah, blah. We're, we're talking. He's like, I see you got that bass guitar right there or something, whatever you got. What is it? I was, you know, it, he didn't. He didn't say the bass guitar part. I mean, right. It was just. He was assuming what it was. But I was like, okay, I'm a, I'm a bass player. And he was like, oh man, well, you know. And uh, this guy was coming out of this club, and he knew that guy. He's like, brother, you need to get over here. You need to meet this young brother. And he was like, why do I need to meet him? He was like, look what he's got in his hand. <laughs> so I've got, you know, they didn't have the gig bags back then. So it was just a big ass case. <laughs> oh boy. So uh, turns out, he, he told me, he was like, man, pull, pull your bass out. And I'm like, well, you're not going to be able to hear anything. It was like, don't, don't, it don't matter. Put your, put the, the, the headstock of the bass up to the uh, street, street light post. And so I did. And he was able to, to get a sound from that. So as I'm playing, he's staring at me. He's watching me. And I'm like, dude, is this, what's, I hope this guy's a serial killer or <laughs> something <laughs> like that. But uh, it turns out that he was the uh, bass player for Al Jarreau and Kenny Larkins. Wow. And, uh, and we've known each other to this day for maybe 30-something years. He's been one of my closest friends, uh, my mentor. Uh, he's a producer. He, he writes and uh, on the philosophical side, too. So it's, it was just weird how... When the universe wants to work to get you where you need to get to, it will it will work. But it's up to the person to accept it. Man, and um, and and you know, not saying that all cases are going to be that way, but you have to be open to the possibility of some something, and also be prepared at the same time. If if it, this is going to go sideways, then you know I know how to fight my way out of it. Right, right, so, man. Yeah. It's, it's nice to hear it from somebody uh, at your status. You know what I mean? Um, oh. And I'm curious, speaking of accepting opportunities and networking all these things, the resume that you have is is wildly extensive and i'm just curious as what the trajectory has kind of been you, did you start off with the military band and then kind of make your way into the industry through that or what's what's been the process oh well for me i it i've been on this weird journey where uh, when i first started my big brother mark mack who's a drummer i tried to follow in his footsteps i first wanted to be a a drummer and uh and i, I couldn't get into that field uh, because I just didn't have the capacity to be able to play like that. But, uh, and there was a test that was involved in middle school back then, and I failed the test. But I'm like, hey, man, rank has this privilege. My brother was your student, so automatically you need to let me in. Oh, wow. And the band director was like, no. 
no, we can't do that. You have to, you know, I don't care who your brother is, who your family is. You, you come in the same way as everyone else. And it was a good learning experience, but it started off with, uh, me going from, uh, trombone to trumpet to finally I saw this huge brass, uh, instrument, a tuba. <laughs> and I was still shy back then. I was like, okay, man, that's perfect. I could hide behind it and I could be as, less social as I need to be because no one's going to come up to a tour player and just, Hey, how you doing? So I started off there and uh, just started working on classical and I did classical for a while and uh, kind of listened to a lot of uh, the Chicago symphony tuba player who was uh, Arnold Jacobs at the time. So they kind of won uh, different scholarships and uh, to different programs, merit music program in Chicago, uh, Chicago All City. And uh, but I, again, being that non-social kid, I would practice for like ten hours a day, and it would drive my parents crazy. I imagine. So from there, I kind of got into a situation with the uh, high in the high school where. They needed a bass player for, they were starting a jazz band program. And they're like, well, you play tuba and it's the same, same notes reading, reading wise. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I picked it up and I liked it. And that's when I started taking lessons from uh, my uh, big brother, my brother's best friend, Larry Williams in Chicago. And uh, started taking lessons from him and from a few other artists uh, that were playing around. I think one was uh, John Whitfield in Chicago, who's an upright bassist. And he used to try to remember if it was Duke Ellington or if it was uh, another heavyweight jazz artist that he was with. So it kind of shifted me from uh, marching band classical over to uh, jazz and uh, a little bit of blues, but not as much. And then at that point, I was became a snob where I was thinking, <laughs> oh, well, you know, blues musicians, huh, they can't really play it. I don't even know what they're doing. It's just a pentatonic scale. Right. You know, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it was a feeling that I could not do. It was a feel, and it was like, I, I just, I don't get it. It's it's repetitive on the vocals and all of this. So I was breaking it down, and then I didn't I didn't look at the, the true elements of it because it was that story that was being told. And it was, um, you know, it was just some things that I, I didn't realize that until, until I got older that, wow, the, he's, he's pouring his soul out. He's given more than just uh, uh, technique. It's not just about technique. It's about feel. It's about his experience, his life, his blood, sweat, and tears, and good times and bad times. But, you know, again, I didn't think of any of that. I, I wasn't open to the possibility of accepting the full fullness of what music and expression expressionism meant musically. So I was kind of bouncing, bouncing around from, from that to to rock, to reggae, to ska, to all of these different styles. And um, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, one of my friends told me, because I, I would always, when I practiced bass, I tried to sound just like Jocko. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, but I was like, yeah, there's no, I, I just don't, I don't have that technique. And I know it's it's not what I want to shoot for. I don't want to be that tech technical guru that could just play you know, a 142nd note 
Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, also, it's such a specific style that I feel like doesn't really get you the gig. I mean, it's one thing to be able to, you know, dissect music the way that Jocko did and implement it the way that he Mm -hmm. did. But Jocko wasn't the hired gun. Jocko was the artist. You know, that's a whole different perspective, you know. Yeah. And but the beautiful thing about Jocko, though, that when I listen to like, you know, like you say, old school musicians told me they're like, hey, put your hand in your pocket. And you know, I'm like, OK, my hands in my pocket. He's like, what do you have in there now? Mm-hmm. It's like nothing. He's like, well, the more you play in the pocket, the more money you got. <laughs> <in the pocket. laughs> I like so play in the pocket. So, you know, I learned that, you know, bass player and drummer, ha- they have to you know, not just bring the life to to the band, but they have to keep that groove and that constant groove, keep it in a pocket. But what Jocko would do is he would paint a picture. I mean, it's um, Picasso. I mean, it's just how he would go in and out of the notes. And that was one of the things that my mentor, Derek Jackson, he he would do the same thing. Like you're you're playing one chord, while that person's the piano player and guitar player is just playing that one chord, he's going going up to a minor third and then going up, but you know, to to the fifth, and then he's going down to a flat fifth. And he's painting it and adding something that I didn't know a bass player could do, which was it it would add intensity to the song and it changes the song if you do it right it changes it and it moves not just the music but it moves people as well right yeah so on 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 my journey i've gone from classical rap pop and uh hip-hop the only thing that i couldn't really fully do was uh gospel that's <laughs> to this day i'm still like yeah, bro, I'll leave that up to y'all. Y'all go ahead and do it because, uh, yeah, I'm just, I ain't there. Well, you know, it's also, I feel like, a, and this is coming from a place of relative ignorance, I would say. However, I feel like modern gospel has shifted a lot from what it was, you know, 30 years ago. I feel like gospel as we know it today is such a, it's a, how do I put this? I don't want to say like a young player's game, but it's just, it's it's kind of like a, it's a style that even like as me coming up, it's changed drastically from even when I was, you know, 10 years ago doing what I'm doing. Yeah. So I feel like it's one of those things if you haven't like, you know, you've got everything else down. It's like, okay, well, this is something that's kind of still developing and and kind of taking on a new uh, meaning, especially as it integrates more with jazz and pop and hip hop. Like we're starting, we're starting mm-hmm. to see the pop world really implement or or gospel and we're starting to see jazz implement a lot of gospel and that how that's affecting it the other way around so it's this genre that's kind of just right now in this kind of uh uh evolutionary stage i feel like you know yeah i i agree with you it's uh everything well especially on the live live performance side it's uh there a lot even blues uh they're starting to um use more gospel artists i know in chicago when i went back to chicago i was like man wait a minute that's a gospel drummer wait that's a gospel drummer wait that's a gospel keyboard player so <laughs> oh man it's a, that's across the board like uh, i played in the blues scene down in miami and actually have done you know i, I went to the ibc and did and did some stuff like that in memphis and uh you know the blues band that i played in 
uh, was you, this guy uh, Maurice was you know a gospel drummer, and then a lot of the bands like this guy Joey Gilmore down south, he plays with the gospel drummer now. And like that's they've been kind of making their rounds across every genre of music. I feel like you know. Yeah, and it's it 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 definitely adds a lot. But the 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 only thing uh, again, it it depends on how seasoned that gospel drummer is or how seasoned the other players are. Because with gospel, uh, the sky's the limit on what you feel and stuff like that. But That's blues nice there is a lot, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's more structure. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, the, the thing like Eric Gales, Eric is, uh, some of the songs say he does him and sip, Mr. Uh, Mr. Sip. Oh yeah. Their, their style the year they, has that. They yeah. Yep. That gospel element to it. And it sounds great and it's intimidated for me, <laughs> but, you know, and it's 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 incredible and intimidating in a good way because what it does it inspires me, and makes me understand and realize, man, I need to start moving up to the next level. I need to keep stepping it up, and because um, it's great, it's great to play uh, with that foundation. But what is it going to sound like with this? And that's you know where where muddy muddy waters had blues had a baby and it, you know named it rock and roll. So right. you know everything is a form of growth and movement and uh, you know constant constant move, movement. Yeah, man. So I'm really curious about this because because your background is so diverse and eclectic. I'm curious as how you got. So when did you get picked up by James Cotton? And how did that leverage itself to become, you know, playing with, you know, or, or recording with Jay-Z and like, you know, all this other amazing stuff. Now, now you've just won the IBC for 2022, was it? Well, it was, it was 2022, but I, I just wanted to because I've gotten chewed out about this because, uh, you know, it's a winner is a winner, but I've won second place Okay, in the uh, IBCs. And uh, the Jay-Z thing, I think um, now my nephew worked with Jay-Z. And uh, he also worked with Kanye, and um, but I'm, I haven't I haven't had the chance to work with him. I did work with Cypress Hill uh, back in the day, and that was incredible. I can <laughs> but, imagine. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Jay Z, I didn't get a chance. Uh, I didn't get a chance. Not yet, at least. Okay. Uh, I'm still still waiting for my nephew to get back into it uh, to to build up his contacts. Um, and possibly say, hey, um, we want you to play bass on this, or we want you to just come come do a tap dance number right, <laughs> right with Jay-Z's <laughs> playing or something. You know, so that'd um, be amazing. But yeah, it's um it's it's one of the one of those things where like every everything involves movement and possibilities and always leaving every everything open. When I moved back to Chicago, it was kind of weird. I moved from from Seattle. I was living in Seattle for a while. And uh, so I got a chance to play. I was blessed with the chance to uh, play with Chris Cornell's family, Inflatable Souls. So it was uh, Peter Cornell, Susie Cornell, and uh, Katie Cornell. Wow. And uh, along with uh, Dave on drums and uh, Joel Tipke on guitar. And uh, through that, uh, Miles Kennedy filled in for for Joel Tipke for some shows. So I got a chance to meet and hang out and do some shows with uh, Miles Kennedy. That's super cool. Uh, meet with uh, Chris Cornell and uh, have, you know, hang out, talk. And, and from there, it moved over to uh, Allison Chains. And uh, so it was, uh, 
it's it, it was all about just being ready for it and uh, accepting it. I had a um, a situation where I was asked to uh, play uh, with with a group, and um, at that time I just I was I think I was going through a divorce back then, and uh, you know back back then I was struggling in life, and you know that's when. I got the divorce and um, I was like, no, nah, I just want to play blues. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's like, I, I had no idea what was going on, but it was just, I just wanted to, to end that pain right there. So, you know, I moved from, from Seattle, moved over to uh, Chicago, uh, played with, um, played with some great blues artists there before I moved to Chicago when I was just bouncing back and forth. I got a chance to play with uh, Lefty Diz at a jam session. And uh, to this day, I tell uh, John Primer, because I came in with a five-string bass and John Primer, Lefty Diz was on stage and uh, John Primer came over to me and he said, hey man, just just keep it in a pocket. It's not about bass solo. I'm like, Man, you don't even know me. Yeah. <laughs> so those blues you know, guys are so was, intimidated was, by that five string, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But after after he heard me play, he was like, "Man, I ain't got any money to give you, but uh, you know, I want to give you one of my CDs." And um, it, to this day, every time I see uh, John, I tell him, "Hey, John, you remember uh, Checkerboard Lounge on Forty Forty Third, and uh, telling me uh, to just keep it in a pocket?" So he he would laugh. But um, dang, that was that was a, a long way of, of saying uh, when I came moved to Chicago, I ended up playing with a great blues artist by the name of Char- Charlie Love. And uh, we used to play at a, a venue called uh, Kings of Minds, which is still there. And uh, there was one night that I was performing there and I was a huge Lucky Peterson fan. Like when I was back in Navy school, school of music. Uh, that you know, we listened to him a lot because uh, it was great study music. So I got a chance to really listen and hear and stuff like that. And lo and behold, one night that I'm playing, this person standing at the right in front of the stage, staring at me. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> so when we get off this stage, you know, the guy disappeared. And uh, my buddy, who was a drummer, uh, was the drummer at the time, uh, BJ. Uh, BJ said, uh, you know, my first name is Charles. My artist's name is Cross. So, and uh, so it's this pre-Cross. So um, he said, Charles, uh, someone wants to meet you. I'm like, who Who wants to meet me? He's like, Lucky Peterson. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, that Bill Cosby thing where it's like, uh, where he says, uh, Noah, this is God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, this is Lucky Peterson. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He's like, man, I love you playing. He's like, I just lost my bass player. And uh, he finished the last show with me over at Buddy Guys. And uh, he's like, we we leave for France in a in about four days. And I would love for you to, to tour with us. And it was, I was, I was floored. I was blown away, but I was like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I don't have anything to tie me down. So we rehearsed, I think it was like four, 
40 songs or something like that within a short period of time. And that's how I learned how to, um, how to rehearse a band correctly, uh, was with, uh, when, when he was there and, uh, they got a chance to, um, meet with, uh, Rico McFarlane, who is my big brother now. So, um, and Rico's play with everybody under the sun and gets an incredible guitar player. So I started my major blues career off with Lucky Peterson and I was with him for a while. During that time we were on the road with Ike Turner and all of these other groups and Ike uh, loved the way me and uh, um, my 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 buddy and I found out he's my cousin, wow. uh, popcorn Chuck Loudon, and we we were just every time we were play it was like an army, it was just the two of us, just the way we would lock and just hold that pocket, and so we we had uh, tons of times of doing shows, um, and they had opportunities that came up. Uh, Otis Taylor was another artist that we got a chance to tour with. On my way back, we're in Chicago for a while, and I got a call from Rico. And Rico said, hey, um, I need for you to put a band together for James Cotton. And so I was like, you want me to put a band together for, for the great James Cotton? Yeah, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> but he was serious. So I was like, well, okay, I got the right, I got the musicians for you. So that's when I called my brother on drums and my brother uh, a tour with uh, Coco Taylor for a little bit. Wow. And um, he was yeah, he was with other artists. And I was like, uh, yeah, can you can you play drums? And uh, we had a friend of ours from, from New York. So if I had known that you were in New York, I could have gave you his number, Slam Allen. And Slam is uh, d- does a lot of stuff on the blues side in New York too. Okay, hell yeah, man! I'll g- I'll grab that yeah. from you because I'll be back there soon, so I'll grab that from you before we get done. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, I appreciate cool. that, man. Yeah, yeah. So we put a we put the put the band together. It was a three three piece because I think he had a keyboard player that he was using, and uh, Rico was the other uh, guitar player that would tour with us at times. And uh, I ended up being with James for. Uh, maybe 10 years, almost 10 years or so. Wow. So, 10 years. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. And um, the saddest thing was um, <clears throat> when I stopped, uh, Noel, Noel Neal, incredible, incredible bass player, incredible, uh, uh, came back to play with uh, James and, um, and Noel had passed away. Um, so James was just recovering, getting out of the hospital. And he said, um, he said, well, I'm going to be going out soon. I was like, well, when you, when you go out, I'll be, I'll be there. I'm, a, I'm, I'm your bass player. I got you. I got uh, you. So he's like, okay. But you know, he's like, Josh, I got you. Okay. <laughs> we, when we going out, we going out that this, but you know, so we got a chance to, uh, uh, talk for a while and I was looking forward to it. And I think it was, uh, it was about a week later that I received a call from my brother and uh, he had told me that James had passed away. So it was, it was devastating um, to, to get the news cause he passed. Um, my mom, my mom passed in 2010. And uh, at that point, and my mother was my biggest fan. 
And, you know, I'd sing a song and it didn't matter if I was in Kiotiki, she'd shake her head and clap her hands and stuff like that. Oh, man, that's awesome. Uh, so when, yeah, when she passed away, I ended up uh, burying her and uh, I was done with uh, music for a long, long time. I, uh, I just, I had no inspiration. I didn't want to do anything that dealt with music. Um, I just wanted to hide for, for a long time. So, yeah, man, um, I'm sorry to hear that. That's got to be, yeah, I mean, just thanks. a devastating blow across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it went from after my mother died, it was, uh, it's about six months later that my closest niece passed away from breast cancer. Then from there, my brother, uh, passed away. He had a triple, uh, triple heart, uh, bypass deal. And uh, so he had he had passed away, and it was just like, yeah, Jesus yeah. man, I'm so sorry. That's such a yeah. that's just back to back, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. How uh, how long did it take you before you wanted to get back in the game? So I would imagine that you needed some time to really heal from 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 that. That's 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 hard. Yeah, man. that's hard. Yeah, it it took a while. It took um, I think at least six years I was going out and um, playing. But when I would go out and play, I would get drunk. And that was the whole thing that I needed that medicine to, to kind of keep me going. But it started getting to the point where it would uh, get out of control. I mean, not in a bad way, but, it, you know, and uh, I still make it home, but I end up passing out at home and, you know, not being able to get up in time. So I guess back then, um, I'm thanking God that I made it, <laughs> I made it home back then, but it, it took, it took, um, even at that point, um, I was playing and I just had to drink. I had to, I had to drink and I had to drink excessive. So it wasn't until maybe 2020, 2019 or so was when I decided to really try to focus. 2018, I really tried to focus on it, but then COVID hit and uh, then that, that was like, okay, got a year to two years off. And I was uh, going to say, man, um, like a true bass player, you have perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, you know, it, it worked out though because it was the the self reflection, and uh, it was a matter of me figuring out what I wanted to truly do. And back then, I was going back to school. I was like, well, you know, I know my parents wanted me to to get my degrees, and so I ended up uh, focusing a lot of time on school. And then uh, IDCs came up, and I decided to, you know, give it give it as much as we could. And I think the last time we were there, 2022 was when we did, uh, when we uh, won first first place for Phoenix. I mean, I'm sorry, not for, I keep wanting to say first place. <laughs> we won second place for, for Phoenix. And it was, it was an incredible year because uh, uh, the acoustic solo artist, Eric Ramsey, he actually won first place for Phoenix. Okay. And wow. Phoenix Blues Society. So, so did you? So did you guys end up going to Memphis or no? 
Uh, not for 2023, but I'm planning on doing it for 2024 um i just needed i needed a break from it because it was it's it's stressful i mean you know yeah it's it's stressful it's a grind man it's a grind that that competition is you're talking like you know if you're on the you're in phoenix i was down south florida i didn't actually participate but i was there for the whole weekend and i ended up playing in one of the bands that that was like a semi-finalist after that, oh. that weekend so it's a uh i was there and i saw it right with my own eyes like these are guys a lot of them are on the road like these are road dogs we're talking about like mm, people yeah. playing clubs 200 250 nights out of the year around the country Ooh, and nice and like and you guys are out there participating in this event and we're talking four days unpaid type shit. You're just going for the accolade of winning, and hopefully that mm-hmm. that can leverage you into you know a record contract with you know some obscure blues label or yeah. uh, or any kind of you know whatever manager agent. If you don't have one, you you just hope that it leverages into something. And that's a lot to ask for people that are out there grinding, especially in the blues world. You know, you and I know very well that you know that's a that's that's a blue collar uh music grind there's with little hope of, of ever reaching pop success right yeah oh yeah so yeah it's grueling man and that's amazing that 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 uh that you're i mean you have a true love for for what you're doing and the genre it sounds like for participating and and trying to do the thing so i i, I admire that oh thank thank you yeah i'd love to hear your plan man one of these days and uh yeah, and definitely, I want to put you put you in contact with with. Uh, there's another there's a keyboard player. She's in some part of New York. Uh, PK Hannah is her name, but she's okay. a really good blues piano player, singer, and uh, guitar player. But she's really she's really really cool. Awesome. Really nice. Yeah, I would love any any kind of contacts you can get, man. I'm just trying to yeah. you know keep networking, expanding ex- expanding the. Uh, the enterprise you know yeah, yeah um, it's a uh, oh sorry no well there's just a couple of things i really want to hit on with you because i'm so curious about this and uh-huh. I, i'm so first off uh the blues band that i played in we covered two james cotton tunes uh one of them was uh was it rolling on 88s uh which is like a up pace like like an up tempo kind of like swing like a like a um, oh, Rock and 88s? Rock 88s. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, sorry, it's been a long time since I played with them. Oh, no no worries. And then there was another one that was like this A minor kind of funk. And it does these hits on the upbeat on the, fi- to, on the five to the four. One more mile. Yes, one, one more, more mile. mile. Yes. Yeah. We used to yeah. cover. Here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, we, used to, we used to cover those two songs, man. And it was, uh, those were two of my favorites just because I love there were well especially one more mile it was a departure from the standard shuffle and like you know a lot of the other stuff that we would do is like this funky tune that had hits it was a lot of fun to do and i just yeah. I, I would love playing those tunes man so um that was just a, it was nice to just kind of be able to you know just yeah it was cool um and then i really want to hit on your your learning on how to run a rehearsal i want to go back to that real quick because this is something oh. as as you know, I've been a band leader for a long time. I'm very very adamant about let's not waste any time. We, we've all got mm-hmm. lives. We all got shit to do. Other places to be. We got two three hours here, 
and we got to just make the most out of it. So let's all come yep. prepared. Let's know our shit and just run the tunes, come up with whatever transitions and, and stuff we want to do for the show. But let's not waste time learning music while we're here type shit. Yeah. And then, you know, as time has gone on, uh, th that band is disbanded and I play with other people now. And I and, you know, coming from a band leader perspective, I judge harshly on how those rehearsals are being run, right? Since I'm not in, in mm -hmm. that role anymore. So I'm just curious yeah. as to what your experience was and uh, and how you learned how to run a rehearsal like that. Um, well, I, I was able to uh, to learn from from quite a few uh, folks from from middle school to high school from the marching band side. Uh, to the big band side, uh, up to, uh, um, went to a TSU and, um, how they would run there. The band director would run the rehearsals and, uh, it, it's, it's, it's all a, about approach, but the, the most that I got out of running, even with the military bands, the way they would run their rehearsals too was totally different than the way Lucky Peterson would run his rehearsals. And he, but you know, you have a child prodigy that is one of the world's finest artists ever. And uh, so he's been doing it ever since he was like, what, two, three years old. And uh but when I witnessed it, it was kind of kind of a, a mix. It started with my my brother Mark, Mark and um, Larry Williams, and it, it it taught me with Larry and Mark that it taught me how to to shape a band by the bass player and drums, and it's it's the form form of locking. It's the 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 chemistry. It's um, how they they feed off of each other and they, they, they've been playing, they were playing together for a long time, but they knew how to direct the band to build it up, to drive it and bring it down and not have it sound like keeping that intensity, dropping it all the way down and still having that intensity level there. Right. Instead of dropping, you know, some bands, they'll drop it down and just sound, man, the energy's gone. Everything's gone. Right. Um, totally. But yeah, for, so from from Mark and Larry, I learned how to handle a drummer and uh, how my relationship needs to be with a drummer, and uh, which is the most important thing to me. But with Lucky Peterson, and he had the cream of the crop, but he would always say um, the, the times that we rehearsed, and you know, we'd rehearse a song, and uh, he's just basically, you're in there to see how the feel is going to be, and um, how you want it to be. It should go in the direction of that band leader, and uh, he knew how to drive the band. He knew how to bring it down, and he would always say the rehearsals are not a rehearsal for you to come in here to learn the song. Yes. The rehearsal is for you to perfect the song with the band. Exactly. And so that was uh, one of one of the biggest things that I learned from him because I didn't know. I'm like, oh, man, we just come in, we just play. It's like, no, you don't come in and just play. You play as a band because when you do your shows, you do your shows. And and it's it's intoxicating when the music sounds so good that you just want to keep playing. 
Right. But it's like, okay, we, you know, we got two hours, so we're going to go for 50 songs right. within two hours. And uh, so he, 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 he just communicate what he wanted. So we're going to go over the chorus. You all know this song, right? Oh, yeah, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, so <laughs> yeah. you know, because if you didn't, if you didn't, you got hell to play because when you hit the stage and you get ready to play, he's like, OK, you said you got it. So you got it. But you 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 get on there and mess up. He he stopped the band in a concert like we're in Paris. He just stopped the band. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to let the bass player try to figure out what's going on right oh, now. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, so it's 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 that. But I mean, down to when we were in, I think it was, yeah, we were in France and I was backstage and I saw James Brown uh, find some of his band members. Oh, yeah, he did. That. He was famous and, for that. Yeah, but he would turn around. I would, you know, I'm backstage and he's doing, yeah, he's like this. Yeah. <laughs> they turn back around and it's like, holy jeez, this this dude know, know what he's doing. Yeah, man. And but it's 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 about it's about when when a band rehearses, they're coming in to perfect the song as a band. It's not to to learn the song at that minute, that moment. It's they should have the song. They should have their skill down well enough to a point of knowing I've practiced this song. I know what it's going to sound like when it comes out of me. Now I want to see how it's going to sound when I interact with the rest of the band. Oh, I love that perspective. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, there's a, a just kind of relate to some of that uh, calling people out. Uh, the band leader that I was playing with at the time when we were doing in the blues band, a shout out rock and Jake band. I've talked about it plenty of times in the show. I played with rock and Jake band, mm -hmm. all the touring stuff. It was fun. He was like, you know, in his mid fifties at the time and I'm a 24 year old kid and the other mm -hmm. guys in the band are like, you know, late thirties, early forties. And so everyone's like very seasoned and knows what to do. And I'm coming in like thinking I can play the blues. And he very quickly uh, told me that I could not play the blues and uh, mm -hmm. I had to learn all that stuff. And then uh, there'd be times on stage where I would just be bombing. I mean, just just not playing very well. And mm -hmm. and he would, you know, I'd be looking at him. OK, I'm done. He's like, nope, you're not. And this will let me sit and marinate in, in my inability to get through that time. And uh, mm -hmm. and I learned so much in those moments where it was like, you have to really sit here and do, put in the work to learn the music, not just the songs and the arrangements, but stylistically, you know, the, most of these solos are improvised. So you have to sit there and put in the work and learn how to play the style. So even on an off night, you can still fool the crowd at least, because right now what you're doing is objectively ruining the show. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, yeah. fuck, man. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I mean, it's it, it it that scene. There is such a there is such a commitment to the authenticity of the style i think that doesn't always exist across there are certain styles i think that relate to the blues in that but the blues is so those guys are so committed to to being a traditional and authentic sound i think that, that there's something admirable about that as well you know yeah there is and the the, the other thing with that is interpretation and a lot, a lot of artists, a lot of us, we may interpret something way different than like, let's, let's take, uh, uh, let's take, uh, 
Muddy Waters song, Hoochie uh, 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 Coochie Man. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there are different interpretations of that. Like, an um, uh, uh, incredible guitar player that I had the pleasure of uh, having worked with me for, for a little bit, Adrian from uh, Hermosillo, Mexico. And uh, so Adrian didn't really play the blues. Adrian was a killer rock guitar player. I mean, killer. Uh, so now at that point, it's like, well, we're we're doing Hoochie Coochie Man, but we want to do it as close to uh, this style as possible. So what I would do with Adrian, I'd be like, okay, Adrian, I want you to listen to uh, Albert King, Albert Collins. I want you to listen to some Freddie King. Yeah. Listen to some BB. I want you to listen to... Lucky Lucky Peterson, uh, uh, Rico McFarland. So I would give him uh, different lists to listen to, and and I would tell him, I want you to play as close to that as possible, and not saying I want a clone of that, but I want your expression, your interpretation of this, with the understanding of this this genre, uh, because. And that's the that's another important thing is, you know, you could have a certain style that you're going for and uh, we all have our own interpretation of it and our our own experience from it. So it's a matter of how we bring it. And if we don't have any experience on it, then go back and learn, get some type of foundation and understanding of it and then bring bring your understanding of it. And I, I played with uh, with a reggae band, which I didn't know. I can't remember. So it was like, I shot the share for or something like that. Uh, and um, I couldn't figure out how to to lock the groove, you know, doom, 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 or, or so. And I was like, I, how, how do you do that? Right. Cause I would go do, 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 you know, it's, it's, uh, the, the interpretation was completely off, but, uh, my buddy that I was playing with at the time, um, he was like, man, I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to this style here. Listen, bumper cloud. I want you to listen. So he would go on and on, but he's like, just listen. So you could get an understanding of the base of the groove of the, of, of that style. And so I was able to to come back, but I had for me, I had to conform to the style and play it note for note. Uh, like I would play if that I shot the sheriff uh, original baseline, I would play it exactly like that until I had uh, more time with experiencing and being in that genre to be able to open up and uh kind of still stay within that that groove and have but have my own interpretation of have my own expression of it but it's still it's reggae but it's my my expression of of course yeah Yeah. as long as you get that like reggae has a pulse on i feel like on on the three you know which is like a kind of it's kind of like a little count like like contrary to what we understand you know in western music for the most part it's just like you know, it's two and four based or like whatever. We have like the triplet feels in, in blues, you know, like the shuffles and the swings and all that stuff. And reggae is just mm-hmm. like, well, the pulse is 
on the three. We're gonna we're gonna uh, omit the one. We're not gonna give you that. We're just gonna give you that fucking yeah. fat kick on the three. And like, yeah. and that's that's where you have to kind of dance around. As long as you're kind of like giving people that pulse, you can do whatever else you want around that. I feel yeah. like you know. Oh yeah. I was. All, I'm also super curious to know what James Cotton was like as a, as a as a band leader. Man, I've heard some uh, wild stories about him. Uh, and uh, so my uh, uh, growing up down south in, in Miami, my uh, my family was, you know, my dad and my uncle and extended family all involved in the music scene and industry, different levels uh, down there and otherwise. And uh, one of my uncles was a sound guy at this place called Tobacco Road. Uh, which mm, in Miami, in Miami, yeah, and they recent yeah. recently tore it down. So uh, in typical Miami fashion, is ruin a great thing. And uh, yeah. but but uh, a legendary club that I know James Cotton performed at. Did you play with him there at all? Um, I think we did. Actually, we did play there. I think it was a few years before. I don't know if your screen kind of blacked out. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we played there a few years before it closed down. I can't remember the exact time. Or the exact date, but I think it was like I kind of got a feeling it was like two to three years before they closed it. Okay, well, this is this was like the the, the stories that I've heard. Nothing too bad. Just just you know, he seems like a like a like a fun guy. Um, but this is like back in the '80s when when my uncle was working there as a sound guy and stuff. Um, but I'm curious as to what it was like to work for him. He must have been a, quite a, a band leader. James was James was uh, James was like a father to us to me rico to uh tom holland who was uh with the band with us and um my brother mark uh slam slam allen was also uh slam actually went off and did his did his own thing but he was he was very very good very understanding he took care of his musicians um on the pay side, if there were any problems, if we needed something, he would he would bend over backwards for us. Um, it was uh, one time we were on tour. We were, I think we were somewhere in Buffalo or leaving Buffalo on the way to Boston to another show. And there's this one place that has uh, this really good food and all of us wanted to eat there. We thought that we were going to eat there. And so the manager who was driving the van at the time. He's like, nope, we're not eating there. We're, we're just going on the road. We're continuing on to the next gig. He's like, no, we need to stop. We need to stop. That's where the guys want to go. We're going to stop. He's like, no, we need to go. He, uh, <laughs> James had uh, slammed his hand down on the, uh, the dash of the uh, car. And he said, God damn it. I pay the cost to be the boss. Turn this damn car around. <laughs> Get my boys something what they want to eat. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So he and we we uh we were like, oh, but it was it was he taught me how to to be uh, a good band band leader band, um, you know, good band leader, because it's about taking care of your band and making sure that everyone's happy, comfortable and situated. And once we hit that stage, James would always give everything the the last bit of what he has he he would give it and uh, leave it on that stage a hundred percent that's that's where he, even if he's feeling sick or if he's feeling tired he'd get out there and you would you couldn't even tell because he 
once he hit that stage, it's just, man. And uh, he kept us on our, on our toes because he's, he, he would turn around and look at us too. He's like, come on out, play, play. Uh, he would let me uh, uh, solo every now and then. But, you know, the first time I did it, you know, it was like, I'm actually soloing. And, you know, I was playing fast, you know, but it was a little melodic line. And uh, so he got on the mic while I'm while I'm so long. He's like, Jazz, Jazz, take your time, take your time. And so hearing him say, you know, say that, take your time, it made me. It was it was so weird just just to hear him say that. It made me feel uh, a little more comfortable. And uh, I didn't feel scattered. It was like all of a sudden I had more focus on my playing. And because it was just, like, you know, bass players don't solo much. Right, so, right. You know, so it was it was good to um, to be able to to hear that. And, uh, and, you know, if he felt like, you know, I need to take another solo, he'd be like, uh -uh, keep going, keep going. Do you think? Do you think? That's awesome. And, um, but yeah, he he loved his artists. He he would um he would always recognize his musicians on stage. And when he got off stage, he would turn around to each and every one of us and he'd thank us. And he bow his head and he'd thank thank every last one of us before he got off that stage. And it it was something that I realized is, and it's something I say with, with my band and I say, ladies and gentlemen, I give, you know, I give a shout out to, to my artists because they're more than just, uh, the, the working band. So if, if, you know, if I've got a guitar player that's played with certain artists, I would be like, you know, ladies and gentlemen, give it up on guitar all the way from, you know, wherever, and uh, he's also performed with this artist, this artist, this artist, and it's 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 the recognition of each of us that are just shut in the back. That the lead singer, lead guitar player, they don't really realize that it's not just about them; it's about all of us on that stage. You know, again, that's one of the things that I got a chance to learn from him, and I, I do it every show. I'm if it, you know, I I think. Uh, how do I put it, ladies and gentlemen? I'm I'm thankful to be on the to share this stage with these incredible artists, and uh, I'd introduce each artist. It's important to do that, man. I think you know, like a lot of people, a lot of artists get kind of caught up in their in their own stuff, and it's like they kind of forget because you know there's a lot to deal with. You're dealing with a lot of things, there's a lot of moving parts, and and yeah. uh, and side guys for lack of a better term, can come off sometimes as, as unappreciative or not, not you know, very uh, thankful for the opportunities and stuff like that. So, you know, it, sometimes it, artists just forget there's an homage that needs to be paid to your people because it's like these guys are out there. They have histories. They got like lives and things that they're neglecting to make sure that this show can go on for the love of the music and for the love of, you know, the grind and all those things, right? So the acknowledgement, yeah. I think, helps go a long way. And especially if you're an yeah. artist, it's kind of on the come up. You know, you, you can't pay the highest rates or you can't like, you know, afford the most luxurious lifestyles. So you're kind of hoping that these guys uh, can are, are betting on, on the vision 
And if you give them the appreciation of, of, of their time and, and their effort, then they're much more likely, I think, to give you the, the dedication that you want uh, in, other, in other aspects, I think, you know? Oh, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Big time. Um, I, I want to go back to um, you perform or, or recording and, and playing with Cypress Hill. I'm curious as yeah. to you know the influence of hip hop on, on your upbringing or just in your early music life, if, if if any at all, and what it was like recording and working with those guys because uh, that's another uh, I would imagine a, a wild group of of people, especially at that time, to be working with. Yeah. It was, and on that show, that was actually, uh, they were doing the Seattle tour. And uh, so um, my buddies um, who um, who were getting, and one of my buddies who was getting into um, hip hop, and um, he was like, man, I need need a band. And all of us, we, you know, back, back then, you know, drinking, partying, and everything in between. So we had our own little circle. But it, it wasn't... An, ego circle it was just this is my boy this is is my brother so i got you you know it was that that feel right and so and that's what what we had a chance to to experience was when they're like oh man so there there's some shows that are coming up and we could be the band that plays for them and stuff like that and it was it was amazing man to see them come out and they're doing their songs and we're we're just in the back, <laughs> just just killing. It was that was the first time ever I've uh, actually done the the hip hop, and uh, it was it, it was nice and a lot of endo, a lot of smoking. Yeah. <laughs> did uh w- yeah. W- was there any uh, did you have any connection to the music at all beforehand, or that that was kind of your first experience just on a on a on a fan level with it? It, it was that was my first experience on a performer performer level like on the fan level uh i've listened to hip-hop ever since i was uh, a kid from houdini to uh um, oh man sugar hill gang and you know old school yeah old school. yeah yeah so east coast west coast and i just i didn't really care about the coast it was just about the music music totally so yeah because it, it is a very specific genre as well like there's there's kind of certain there's just there's like grooves and there's beats and there's like a there's ways to complement you know the like, the like the the mc and like it's a different i think a different approach than a lot of styles of music so i'm just mm-hmm. curious as to that's why I'm so curious about your your background with it because was it a learning experience learning the music and and kind of wrapping your head around that performance or did you were you already pretty familiar with it coming into it well i was I was familiar with it coming into it, but it was still you know uh just learning the songs um at that at that point I'm trying to remember some of the songs saying staying in a membrane yeah yeah and like what's that that. hits from the bong and all that stuff yeah yeah yeah. so when we when we play I do remember when we played that song though insane in the membrane yeah (laughs) (laughs) everybody was smoking so yeah yeah it was it it was it was definite it's I mean you could tell it's a it's a different world but they they appreciated us big time yeah. So even though we're we're in the back playing and they had their DJ and stuff like that, they, they turn around and you know, 
yeah, yeah, y'all killing, y'all killing, yeah. So it's um, um, like my nephew. I have two nephews that do hip hop. Well, I've got found that my niece does. Uh, a couple of my nieces do uh, hip hop as well. But um, so far, um, my nephew uh, London is um, has been making uh, making a lot of moves with it and having more more, more impact uh, in the industry uh, from from his uh, connections. And uh, so it's been. It's been funny even listening to some of the stuff that he does because we've been uh, talking about doing collaborations and uh, working on some stuff. I think uh, we actually, a long time ago, I mean, this was 20 or more years, um, we did a song where I was playing bass and he was rapping to to me, um, to, to my uh, bass line, which I thought was was ridiculous i mean ridiculous in a good way but it was it was uh something that made you know it was some of the things that made made me realize okay music comes in all forms and it's anything could be music a person coughing every few seconds can turn into a great rhythm that turns into a great song literally man um, that's such a good observation and and like yeah. i feel like for now it's kind of changing a little bit you know you got you got guys like robert glasper and and people of that nature or that talent level that are kind of embracing the world of hip-hop uh mm -hmm. and i'm curious as to you know what do you think the resistance was towards towards the music for such for such a long time because you know there was a resistance towards rock and roll and towards uh you know jazz at some point and and every kind of groundbreaking genre there's like there's a bit of a resistance to but it seems like it took, you know, whereas rock and roll maybe had like 10 years of resistance before the mainstream accepted it. It took like hip hop like 30 years before people of of across musicians, especially, you know, the older guys are always like, well, it's not music. It's, it's whatever. It took a lot longer for people, I think, within the music world anyways, musicians in particular, to accept it as a viable genre of music. What, what do you think the pushback was or the resistance to accepting it might have been? I think some of the the resistance of the acceptance part is, is coming on from the professional musician side is, um, you know, a, a musician considers a musician that sings or is playing an instrument. And they're like, oh, they're just they're just doing rap. They're just you know coming up with these lyrics. But because I was one of those idiots, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, it, it it's 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 everything music is it, I, th I think that was one of the one of the big, big things and uh some of it is the rawness of, of it, what it's about rap or you know you talking about this and you know my nephews wrote a song and i really want them to come back with it it's called uh the 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 lyric goes i'm picking the lock coming through the door blasting i'm picking the lock coming through the door blasting then they go into it i'm like man y'all need to that song that, yeah <laughs> you know but it's uh it 
it takes a while because I think some of it has to do with the lyrics. Some of it has to do with objectifying of women. And uh, it could be so many, so many different things. I mean, Elvis, it took people a long time to, to understand him back in the day because he's gyrating. He's doing something that black folks were doing for a long period of time. Right. But, but now it's a conservative TV so now the conservatives are like, oh, no, no, my my daughter is screaming her head off now. Uh-uh, this uh, uh, this kid should be on, say he's gyrating, doing all of this sexual stuff. This, mm. So it's, um, I think it took a while. The, the other thing that I have a lot of respect for hip hop is they control you know, the black kids in their neighborhoods or whatever, they they control that industry. Right. And so where you get, you got rock and you got everything else is controlled by the majors. But that's the only only genre where, you know, it's like when I'm talking to my nephew and I'm like, oh, CLR, CLR productions and blah, blah, blah. And this and, you know, and then they're talking about distribution. And I never thought anything about distribution like i was just like oh getting a record deal that's the best thing in the world but no it's you got your 360 deals that completely screw you over and everything in between totally and not saying you know and not saying that that's not happening with uh the hip-hop labels but it's it's still it's more of they're they're in control of it whereas it's not you know the where Prince was saying the the thing that we we as artists don't have is ownership of, of our music or so on and so forth. And what was that? Taylor Swift? Was it Taylor Swift that did an interview and she was talking about she didn't know that she was owned by some private investors wow. uh, that owned her entire catalog and she wasn't given the option to be able to buy her catalog. And look at Britney Spears, you know, her 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 family or her dad or something owns basically her entire life. And that was, you know, I mean, it's like a lot of weird yeah. stuff like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. However, there it's, was some, uh, there, there's some weird stuff in the hit, like, you know, death row owned Tupac, like, you know, all like just, yeah. I mean, not just his, his music, but I mean, you could tell if you, if, if I'm a, I, I was a huge Tupac fan, especially in high school. And if you listen to his music, uh, his lyrics, you can tell, you know, how conflicted he was as a person, uh, just, coming from a not so standard background as far as like what the hip hop, uh, you know, image was, he was, came from a, he went to art school and like was a dancer and, you know, had a different mm-hmm. kind of lifestyle. And then you hear all, the, all his lyrics, how conflict, you know, he wanted to port, he wanted to kind of talk about what was happening in the inner cities and stuff like that. But then you can hear this, this, this conflict. And, I, and, I, and as I get older, I start to look at that and I start to think about maybe, Maybe there's a lot of confliction with, you know, him as a person feeling like he didn't have autonomy because of the deal that he signed with Death Row. And then that kind of manifesting itself in this confliction in his lyrics with, you know, this image of of positivity and and, you know, uh, uh, being a martyr for 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 the inner cities of versus glorifying the, like the lifestyle of of, you know, criminal enterprises and, and, you know, whatever else. So, um, it's interesting how, how, you know, as you get older, you kind of see that, that dynamic a little bit, I think. And, and just to that point of like, I I don't know, 
you know, the, I know the hip hop industry works different than a lot of the, than a lot of how the mainstream industry works, but there is still some some weird shit that happens. I feel like at that level where where there's control of music and and people, you know, especially if they feel like they have all the leverage, you know. Yeah, and that's that's the the saddest thing is because it's uh, you're you're in an industry like um, let's say if you're uh, at get some some major companies out there, AT&T or uh, Apple, you know, so they have their product, they market it, they they get as much money as they can for it because that's, that's the whole thing. Let's market it and blow this iPhone up. That's what, that's what we're here to do is maximize on what we have and to get as much revenue coming into the company. So, in, on the music industry side is something that I I can understand because an artist is no longer well they're they're still an artist but an artist becomes a product right at that point right and so it, and it's a matter of, of um, the the creative output and the the ability to be able to express if you've uh, been what's it called a, a foothold for a certain certain style let's say you you do bubblegum feel-good music and that's your thing they, you know the uh, let's let's say the brady bunch uh, i think i'll go outside for a walk now the sun is called my name right me, you know so so now this has become a a, a brand of uh, that's making you know let's say $40 million has started with $40 million a year. Now they're up to 500, 500 million. So now the, the contract is, Hey, yeah, we'll make you this. And uh, it's, it's all about what you sign on that, that sheet of paper. But uh, at that point, it's like, um, no, you're the bubblegum feel good. We don't want you going out talking about, uh, you know, what's going on in the world or talking about politics or anything like that. Because now at that point, you, you, you are going to become an investment risk. Right. So now, and if you do that, then you're going to be at breach, breach of contract. And uh, we'll sue you and we'll own everything that you have and you'll still owe us all of this money. Right. And you will never be able to to sing again. So it's it's a it's a matter of how you go in and how you look at it and how you look at your music, how you look at your contract and, and what you want to do. Like when I, st I started a record label uh, years back and uh, I kind of slowed down from it for a while because I was still trying to figure out what direction I want to go. But it's it's basically designed to um, every artist that we work with. I would, I would always say to them before we work on anything, have you picked up the book, all the things you know about the, the music industry? They'd be like, no, I'm not familiar with that. I was like, okay, you need to pick that up because now we're going to start talking about the type of distribution that I have. Now we're going to talk about your publishing and, you know, do you have your publishing set up? Do you have, did you copyright your songs? Did you do this? And it's like, no, I was just going to, no, don't trust. And it's like, well, I won't want you to hear this song. Nope. I don't want to hear any song that you don't have copyrighted 
or, you know, set, set yourself up for success. And that's the thing with music. We, we, we take it as it's just an art, but uh, we have to, uh, who was, God, it was an artist. And I think it was Luther Vandross uh, that said that, that an artist has to be more than an artist, that they have to be a business person as well. And they have to be, understand every aspect of the industry and it's it's important but when we're we're considered that starving artist and most of us starving artists we may be incredible on that instrument but we're naive naive to the industry and how it works and so when we get that deal you know, you never know. You may end up with a good attorney, but you may end up with that slime, slime that just uh, he's he's in it for the money or he's tied into the record label. Well, there's a I, I've always made a distinction. No, I've not always. But, you know, in recent years, I made it made a distinction between, you know, musicians and artists. And to me, an artist is somebody that's aware of their entire enterprise in that capacity that mm-hmm. you're talking about, because you are the final say, your name is at the end of the day on everything, and you're the final say yeah. in what happens on everything. Uh, so to me, that's like the, the big distinction that I make. And I'm, and I'm curious also, because you, you mentioned something about uh, not wanting to listen to an artist's music before it's copywritten or just making sure you know they're protected. There's a, but there's, a, a, there's a, also like an angle there where it's within your self-interest as well to make sure that they're, you know, they have their ducks in a row because it isn't there from, from a legal standpoint. If they don't know, like you, you do carry some liability if you act in a certain way without them being legally represented or at least have representation that understands the context of, of what's happening, right? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I've, I've signed management deals uh, in the past where it's been like the management company is strongly advising me before we sign anything to have a lawyer look it over and make sure it's all kosher. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, how how nice of them to make sure of that. And the lawyer that I spoke to was like, well, yeah, it's they have to do that. It's it's within their legal interest uh, in order. You know, they, they need to make sure that you're that you're totally aware of everything before mm-hmm. you sign something. That way, you know, they're not held liable for any kind of you know, misleading anything or whatever. How, yeah. how right am I? Like, how close am I to that? To that on, about that? Now you, yeah, you're right on that. But it it depends. I mean, that's that's the ideal world. Um, but I've I've had folks that have signed um, man, again management deals with someone where they took more than they were supposed to and. Um, and it just went on and on, but it's um, Elvis uh, with the Colonel. The Colonel, yeah, that was brutal. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that uh, that was devastating because, uh, yeah, it it happens. It happens every day, and you have those people that, yeah, they put the money up front, but at the same time, what what have you signed? What have you signed with them? Even if they're like, oh, well, we got a verbal. Well, verbal is only going to go so far, but right. still now that sheet of paper, you know, if every person says, oh, don't worry about it, just sign everything. It's all good. It's like, yeah, okay. We don't need to work together. Yeah. That's, in, I mean, that's <laughs> insane, especially with all yeah, the knowledge yeah. that we have today, that would be yeah. insane yeah. for anyone to consider that kind of a scenario. I'm curious, yeah. somebody who, who, 
who was at, who started a label and uh, worked with different artists. What were you kind of looking for uh, before you decided to work with somebody or sign them? Um, well, we were indie. And when I say indie, I mean indie, indie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some of the things that we were looking for is just true talent. And um, everything else we would try to to work with as far as brand branding and um, marketing and how how to present them and how should we you know how should we move forward but it it became harder and harder because uh it required a lot of money well i was gonna say uh, so you you guys were doing development deals which is not so so common these days normally they want to see an infrastructure already kind of built right they want to have a presence on social media they want to see music that's been released and that's seen you know at least real streaming numbers and has placement in something or another. They want to make sure that because it's, it already costs money at that point, anyways, right? So they want to make sure their yeah. investments protected. Uh, were w- w- at what point were you guys operating? Was that w- w- with you doing development deals? That was that kind of already you know an antiquated thing at the time that you guys were doing it. Well, it was it was definitely it was it was just something that we that I wanted to do was to make artists aware of all all parts of the the industry and uh, even some of the friends that I had that had other indie labels I was blown away with some of their contracts I'm like well we're doing a little bit more than what you guys are doing but you guys and we're we're not asking for anything like that and if it was a hundred percent of the pie we were asking them for like five or ten percent and that was from what we were what we were doing because we're also doing booking we're also doing artist management and um then again the branding part and how to put uh the the artists behind the right style of music that we felt that they they needed to be the genre that they needed to be in and making sure that they were in the right venues and you know, agreements and stuff were taken care of. But it again, it started getting to the point where it was just, um, it was a lot of, it was a lot of stress because it was, uh, I had a few people that were working with me. Then I had a lot of interns. And so, uh, and these were interns that were finishing up their last year of school on the social media marketing side or the engineering side. And uh, so, you know, we were, constantly point and direct and say, okay, this is what we need to do for this artist and make sure they're covered. But, you know, again, it's, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm beat. I'm <laughs> so far below broke now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, to break an artist these days is incredibly difficult. It's an avenue that I've always thought about exploring as well, because I love the music and and all that too, but I'm also aware of need, needing to diversify. And uh, I, the business side of of the industry has always just really intrigued me. So good on you for ta- for taking a stab at it, anyways, and trying to to help artists because I feel like there's not enough of that out there. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you you guys want to do some bottom line news real quick? Yeah. word uh um, so we do a segment cross it's called bottom line news we just do a little a couple talking points on some music industry news stuff and just give our opinions or perspectives on it and uh so we'll bring up a couple articles here and just quick so this one oh. struck me as interesting uh 
what will AI mean for the future of music? So I've, I kind of, this was like something I looked at as like my, one of my senior theses um, at UNF when I was doing the music program. And, uh, and that was years ago too. So it's kind of gotten even further, but basically this article breaks down what AI music sounds like. Um, and then it, it talks about how it can affect producers, songwriters, uh, sync licensing and live performance. And it's just kind of like a little drop in the bucket for each of them because I don't know why, but like recently I've just been hearing more and more about this AI craze and like people connected to the music industry are really, you know, worried about it, putting them out of work and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely a viable or not viable, but it's definitely a, a valid concern. Well, so to an extent, the, the real, I think the only place that we really start to see concern is this sync licensing thing. The rest of the points, I don't know that it's really going to do much, but it's what I'm seeing here is it's kind of it's going to affect micro licensing, which is when people like doing these low budget um, productions, YouTube videos, ads, things like that. Um, they can pay pennies to like use an artist track and kind of do these micro licensing. Well, AI will now start to replace some of that. Um, right. You can just pay to have an AI track made and then just use that. I don't know that this is like super hard hitting. Cause like it's, we're talking about pennies here and like, obviously all that adds up over time. And I don't know, it's, it's going to be a while before it comes from, and the, this is what the article says too, but it's going to be a while before it comes for like the bigger sync spots, like TV shows and kind of national or in, international commercials and things like that, because those are geared towards, you know, what's trending on the charts and things like that. So right. it might be a while before those start to get phased out. Cause there's like this connection to like the pop charts. I understand that, but there, but I mean, you know, to like, have you seen what some of these things can do or heard what some of these things can do? Totally. Um, it's pretty wild. I have not. No, I mean, it's pretty wild that you can just put in like, uh, you know, whatever, like say I want a song to sound in the style of like, uh, Taylor Swift um, and I want it to be about this and you can literally have it pump out a song like that like almost instantly and it's and there's a pop song for you right there perfectly crafted pop song well perfectly crafted could be a stretch like there's uh, th this okay, it's like, subjective well, hold, but hold, I'm hold, just saying that like you know. come on <laughs> be civil um, like this gave like four or five different options like some programs will be better than others. Some genres that'll work for be better than others. Like it said for like singer songwriter, it made like a pretty good tune, but it didn't know how to like tune the vocals for it. And it was garbage. It mm. made a orchestra piece and it all sounded like MIDI instruments. Can we hear it? Um, weak. Uh, I, I think I would be the only person that could hear it uh, theoretically. Okay. Yeah. We'll put a it link. Would, it, we'll, it could go through the TV, but mostly I, it, like it would, it would probably go straight to the switcher. We'll, okay. we'll put a link to the article. If anyone wants to check it out, they can see for themselves, but okay. there's, um, there's a, there's examples of, of stuff on here. Now, how it could benefit, like everyone's always talking about the fears and things like that. <laughs> but I think this has like a big, benefit for producers so i was just reading this in the article i didn't realize that some plugins are already Isotope. using 
AI. And so isotopes one, isotopes. I was gonna I was gonna mention that. I was like isotope is I think it was ozone or is no, it? it was no something else that came out, but I remember that. I remember when it came out because we were in school together and I was just kind of like, I don't I don't know how I feel about that. Like was usually mastering templates or yeah, what's it doing? It's it's but it does some sort of it like I think you give it a template, but it actually does some sort of thing where it actually listens and analyzes what is in it sonically and then like makes makes decisions based on on that like okay. you know, adjust a bunch of multiband compressors it's more than just like i think a just like a preset that's just like here and here like it actually i i, I couldn't explain it like on on a really ex extensive level but it does something more than just here's these settings yeah Interesting. which i think is super cool because if you're like saying all right it recognized so, such and such frequency frequencies you turn your plug-in on and it just knocks that work out for you like as a producer you can zip through work if like the kind of menial task are just being automated and that you can use your creativity to use that automation. It's like we use automation in mixing and stuff like that. Right. That's, so this that's, is, this that's is like different. A, that's entirely different. Is it really? I'm trying to make a point here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't, don't tell them that. Uh, it's so different. But <laughs> it's so different. Look at Chris purposely omitting information to try. It's and not, like, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's a different kind of automation, but it's, uh, it's it's automation nonetheless. Okay. So um so I don't know. I program. think there's I think there's benefits. Um, you know, like something it basically says here is like, yeah, it's it they can make lyrics, they can do all these kind of prompt generated things, but like it's kind of hit or miss on how good they are. And basically everything that's you know, this article is pointing to is just like the human experience is kind of key. Like that's We've talked about it a little bit with like virtual reality concerts and like what you might be missing and like, well, yeah, you can get some cool stuff and it might be close to the real thing. There's kind of just this human element that's intrinsic with music that like I think you it would be hard to like fully give up one. It could be cool to incorporate the other maybe a little bit, but like it, music, to, I don't know, art is such a human thing. What do you what do you think, Cross? You know, it's funny. I'm just finding out about this tonight. <laughs> but cool. I was curious about it is uh, like if that's the case and everything becomes sterile. And then at that point, uh, is there talk of sentient AI? Because I, I was just thinking with, with creativity, I mean, it's I think it's more than just a formula or a template because it's the, you know, artistic expression. So in every individual is totally different. Uh, but again, with the music that we have now, especially in a pop style, it's pretty much uh, the AI. I could definitely see something like that on jazz fusion or soul and stuff like that that requires a little bit more than just the, you know, the zero zero one zero one zero 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 type you know type thing so i don't know it's um it it takes away to me i i think it would take away maybe my my interpretation is wrong but i think it would just make everything just sound the same i 100 agree with what what everybody's saying i think that the human element is key and that um that uh, by outsourcing, potentially outsourcing music uh, to AI could definitely take away the the human artistry that goes into it. That being said, 
I don't think the majority of people care <laughs> about that. And yeah. um, that's the danger in AI and music because as I sit here as an artist and as we all sit here as artists and think about think about you know the human element and how we connect to music uh, on an emotional level and, and otherwise, um, it's super important to us. But we're musicians and we're artists, so like we don't like, like we're thinking about it from our perspective. I legitimately just don't think that most people care. That's yeah. a scary and true point. Yeah, I I think this is similar to like if we think about people fifty years ago looking at how people are making music today, even with Ableton, like drum loops and even like you know MIDI loops that you can get and download. There's plenty of MIDI sequences in just about every DAW that you can just drag and drop into a program oh, and yeah. assign it to a thing. Like already, music compared to what it would have been to to them is now you know probably you know considerably watered down i think in the end with all this ai stuff you're gonna have someone tweaking it at some point like it'll get you close but like you're, you're always going to be making some sort of adjustment though i do think this is going to put one category of music probably out of business and that is lo-fi hip-hop uh, <laughs> yeah. lo-fi hip-hop beats to relax to is going to become entirely ai generated and yeah. that's probably fine because no one's paying it paying attention to it anyway i think i think pop music will as well honestly i don't i don't no. think it'll get to pop not not right now because pop, again when i'm talking about this and and the virtual experience and all that stuff i'm not talking about in the next five years i'm talking about 50 years from now or maybe not even in our lifetime maybe uh however i believe that that uh it, i think the ai will phase out um, a lot of music that doesn't necessarily ne that doesn't ne like necessitate the human actually playing an instrument at a certain point, right? The more that we we're using technology to kind of to kind of uh, uh, manipulate music and the and the styles of music that incorporate that technology are going to move more in that direction because it's just going to be cheaper to do it at a certain point. And I like, and again, I just don't think that people care if people are involved in the in the music making process. I'm not saying that we're going to see this happen to jazz or to blues or to uh, fusion or to like more complex or 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 music that really requires the human element. Um, but I think that music that that is continuing to outsource uh, to technology to, uh, for the end result, I think we're going to see it eventually phase out. The human element. I truly believe that. Not because I want to believe it. I I think that I think that music needs a human element. I just also don't think that most people think like me or us. And I just don't. I don't think they care at all. Yeah. Well, my my kind of optimist thought is that it'll push artists to kind of hit like this new level that you know that there's this kind of like a survival mode will kick in and that it'll just kind of gear artists. And I don't know. I don't have an example of what that looks like because it. I feel like that's one of those things where in the moment you just kind of have to to do it sort of thing just to to make ends meet. But I don't know, like I would like to think that when there's competition and stuff like that, there's there will just be kind of like another gear that like clicks that'll push humans to just kind of hit another level musically. I don't know what that looks like. I will. And I, I think also that there's something to be said that like I don't I doubt. AI, it like, you know, I when it comes to because like is the AI gonna own someone's gonna own the AI and it's yeah. if it's AI okay. or if it's multiple yeah. AIs. Because if it's the thing is, if someone can, you know, 
buy a product from an AI, like, do you know what I mean? Or like AI is being used like in software, like, you know what I mean? This is still like, luckily it's not like, it's not putting anyone out of work Okay, this is, this is but actually... it's maybe just like watering down things. But e e even then, I think there's still going to be people that are going to use it in crazy ways. Like I think there's going to be, because if, if anything, it's going to be something that you're going to give it something and then it's going to give you something else, right? Like yeah. you say, I want a Taylor Swift song, but then maybe you say, I want oranges growing on the mountainside. Like, you know what I mean? Okay. And like, you know, and then just see what the hell happens. You're, and then you end up with something insane. Yeah. Like, and then you do something crazy with that on top of it. Who knows? These are these are valid points. And across kind of speaking to your point uh, about it earlier, about the, the idea of sentient, uh, sentience. And uh, there is right now, there are several engineers uh, and there's a debate about where sentience takes place. But they are right now saying that the, that there is a version of AI. I think it's one, I think it's the newest version of Chat GP. Was yeah, it? this has been the Chat GPT. GPT is like the big thing right now. So they're saying at this point, this is where the uh, intellectual property becomes the actual property of the AI because now the the the, the conversation is about um, how conscious the AI, the AI actually is. There are engineers out there. Right now, saying that there that there's a version of this chat uh, chat GPT that is sentient right now, right? And they have conversations with it. They're working with it. They say that it's sentient. There are other engineers that say the version that exists out in the world, as we know it, is sentient. And at this point, this is where the the intellectual property goes to the AI and not to the person that created the AI, because now we're two or three steps removed from the thought process of the person who created the original software, right? So this is uh this then is we have to question, ask the question of what does a computer do with money? Like, you know, like you know. <laughs> no, to totally. <laughs> like, it goes to the computer strip club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I don't know, man. This is this is a this is a tough one. Yeah, it's it's conflicting. Well, I'm interested in seeing the like the ownership and the rights thing play out because when I was kind of looking at this a few years ago, I don't know that AI had evolved this far in terms of sentience. And so like at that time it was all you know, it's going back to the creators of the program. Right. So like, that's the argument that's being had now though. Yeah, well it was it was happening back then too, but it was a little easier because there was kind of still we it was kind of like, we know we're going to get there, but we're not there yet. So like, this is just something we're just going to take for ourselves. Right. And I don't know, man, in terms like, just, I mean, sure. The AI is sentient, but I mean, like how well can it grasp the concept of American dollars? Like, yeah, I, I does it have emotions? Does it care that it's not getting paid? No, like, yes, that, that is, that's, that's what I'm saying though, is that you have to go listen to, I can't remember who the, who the, the engineer is that was talking about it, but you have to go and listen to what they're saying because this is the conversation yes. that's being talked about. And they are saying that at least, you know, in their mind, they believe that the AI is feeling emotions and is, is knows when it's being manipulated, knows when it's being uh, taken advantage of. And there are, there's a real response to that. Huh. And the question is, are they just, do they, do they understand those concepts because of the information that's out there they're pulling from. And at what point does understanding become actual emotion and vice versa? Right. That's, so that's the conversation that's, that's being had right than now. A local music podcast. I tell you what, well, I'm, but this is, <laughs> I, you know, the, these are things that, that I follow pretty closely yeah. because it's important as you know, working in this industry to yeah, know where totally. it's going. You yeah, know? Cause it is going that way. You know, it's like, I mean, this, this article pretty much lays it out even in a short form that like, 
yeah, there there are going to be elements that are that are going to be used. I think we just make up new AI dollars and just give them to the AI and say good job AI and just tell it that's a real form of currency this, to see where it spends it. This sounds uh, real controversial <laughs> because at some point this argument gets down, you know, in 50 years or 100 years talking about, you know, like like the like you know, the segregation of AI versus humans and what the moral uh, implications are there. Right. Ah, shit. Dude, did I you're, just, you're stupid. This shit. goes on the internet, man. Shit, man. Did like, I just do a racist against computers? <laughs> yeah. just, when, 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 when you go to the AI and beg beg for forgiveness, they're going to search, oh, gonna search gonna through the, the, the catalog. execute and find me this. real quick. Hey, yeah. man. You know, we, we, we laugh and we joke now, but who knows? Well, I'll, I'll be long yeah. gone before they start cutting my checks so. well you better fucking hope so at this point but <laughs> I'm, I'm, look, I'm, you gotta commit and i'm committed <laughs> once you're getting sued for a copyright claim from an ai like <laughs> you know i i have some thoughts that i'll speak off air i guess but, yeah you know, yeah. You know oh god just don't say it Chris. all right someone say something so i met this guy named john connor the other day yeah <laughs> so um cross this is all new to you huh uh, with this ai stuff yeah, big time. But I mean, don't, I, I don't know. I'm kind of one of those technology paranoid people that like, where are the Terminators? When are they coming? Yeah, <laughs> I feel thing. you. I think that concern, I think that concern is super valid these days, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, uh, got these sci fi, uh, uh, pro, uh, shows that I've uh, watched in the past. And it's like all of them dealt with it. What was the, uh, the latest uh, Star Star uh, Star Trek, yeah, Star Trek with the I can't even Kalons, uh-huh. yeah. and so they're they're the computers, and uh, they they didn't like the way humans treated them, and it's like we need to just destroy all humans. So <laughs> it's it's literally like it's it's I'm telling you guys, if you get a chance, listen listen like you know take stay on top of this conversation because they're actually talking like that and then the discussion goes to how much are they just trying to manipulate us versus how much of it is real and it's a whole it's it, it's wild and i'm i'm legitimately concerned just about the well-being of of human uh of the, of the future of the human species i'm just saying it, anyways it is kind of wild that this is not a mainstream conversation yeah and like i it's i i mean i feel like it's being had in like the intellectual fields and things like that but like your average, you know, sidewalk walker is not thinking about the like the implications of this on a massive scale. Which is 100% why AI will take over yeah. the pop market because people <laughs> just don't care. And that's what well, it boils do down they not, to. Do they not yeah. care or are they just not informed? You don't know what you don't know. And like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if, it was, if it was presented to them, would they care? I don't know. Let's let the AI find out. Yeah, you're yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. all right. So Cross, we got one more segment that we do called Unpopular Opinions. And uh we just kind of okay. all rattle off an, an unpopular opinion. It can be about music, it can be about whatever you want. We try and keep politics and religion out of it. However, if you want to go there, uh we'll take it there. So we'll, we'll let Chris and Gene go first, and we'll give you some time to think about it if you haven't thought about one. So, Chris, what you got? Okay. All right. You got a sneak peek of this one the other day. But um, convenience fees online are super inconvenient. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's yeah. super annoying. Like, my argument is that we all, everyone's got a mega computer that could put them on the moon in their pocket, 
And this is just how business works these days. Like I, in the early 2000s, if you wanted to pay with a computer, that was super convenient because no one else was doing it. But like 20 years have gone by. We're all paying bills with our computer. Quit charging me $4 to use my card. Just build it into the cost is what you're saying? Sure. But I'm not, you know, I'm not driving 30 minutes to go drop off a check somewhere or, you know, go to my utility company. It's it's just how the world works now. Get rid of that shit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the idea of building it into the cost could, could make sense. Uh, that being said, you, you could go and drive 30 minutes to drop off your t- utility bill, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. But you don't, right? Well, so have, you just pay the convenience fee that they charge. What's the difference? Yeah, I suppose. But like, the world's just where everything we're doing now is getting just to. And furthermore, do you think that people like paying the convenience fee? Do you think that what you're saying is unpopular? Do you think that most people out there are like, I fucking love these convenience fees, bro. I bet, I bet they do. <laughs> yeah. I bet, so. they, I bet they like being convenienced. Okay. Uh, I yeah. mean, I, I love the convenience. I don't like paying the fees though. I will say. Yeah. It's no. All right. So <laughs> I will pay the exact same amount of money, put the $4 into the cost. So I don't notice it. I'm happy. Yeah. Just get that bullshit fee out of my face. Put it somewhere else. I just it's it's infuriating. Don't call it that. I think that's a pretty popular opinion. Good job, Chris. What do you got, Gene? Nailed it. <laughs> I mean, at least Chris had something. <laughs> oh, Gene doesn't have one. No, oh, for the fifth one. week in a row, Gene is everything row. is popular. Everything is popular. I I feel like all of like maybe that's my unpopular opinion. All our opinions have enough people to consider them popular. Like I feel like at least most. Okay. Okay. Enough. I'm probably going to hit you with one this week that's probably not very popular. But, there you go. Let's do that. Um, so I don't think that magic is nerdy at all. Like, wh- hold on. What? When you say magic, do you mean like I mean like a, a grand tricks. illusion, or like do you mean like magic? No, the no, no. I'm not talking. No, not not magic. The gathering. I'm talking about like the the fucking card tricks and like okay, you know, pulling you shit out of hats. If it's done well, I don't think it's nerdy. Yeah. Right. Like there's like, you know, illusionists that are out there to do or or people that and I also don't consider pushing the boundaries of human uh, physicality, you know, a magic trick. That's, you know, David Blaine and 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 uh, Chris Angel or whatever are just pushing the feats of of human uh, uh, physicality. Um, I'm saying that card tricks and like, you know, the idea of an illusion that's pulled off correctly. That shit's fucking wild to me, and I thoroughly enjoy it. I don't. I, I don't think it's nerdy at all. You know, like people that do magic get like like this bad rap about being nerdy or like they're just uncool. And it's like, oh, it's a cool trick, bro. It's like, yeah, it's a real cool trick. It's a technique that they've been practicing for years. Like we as musicians practice what we do for years before we get adequate at something, and they get really good at it. And I can't figure out how they fucking do it. And I think it's dope. So. <laughs> I, I think agree. I agree. So you. I think I think magic is dope too. Magic is super dope. I think like let me give you an analogy. There's much like there's a difference between someone who is a magician and performs on stage. There's a, definitely a difference between someone who say plays guitar on stage for fun or someone who insists at a party pulling out their acoustic and playing Wonderwall. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Fair point. Like I think there's a difference between someone who's really good at magic and they do it and they perform it between someone who like is really into magic as a hobby and at every party <laughs> comes out and is like desperately trying to show people card tricks. 
sticks Fair in his point. like like check that oh off like you know like even if it's some, like you know you'd have like even if you could do really good tricks that guy who's just walking around is just like oh god here's John again like what the <laughs> f- like you know okay Fair everybody point. put your phone like you know yeah, look just, busy, he's, look like, he's gonna hide. He's gonna make something disappear. Just, just like you know, just put away everything important. Like. <laughs> yeah. Fair yeah. point. What do you think, Cross? No, I agree. I agree on the magic thing. I'm, I mean, I've always been. I mean, since Houdini back in the day. Um, but yeah, and I also agree if if it's done right and if you mastered it. But for a person that's just been taking a few classes here, they're on it. And all of a sudden, the cats, five cats have disappeared from yeah. the magic trick. <laughs> you know, that's a problem. Well, you might have another cat killer on your hands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was at a gig recently or a few months back anyways. And uh, this dude was at the bar and his wife was like, oh, my husband's a full-time magician. And I was like where <laughs> like, <laughs> you forgot the part of you said that after you stopped laughing yeah <laughs> well right um so uh anyways uh you know she was like do you guys want to see him do some tricks and i was like i would fucking love it because i don't think I, like especially card tricks i was like i i don't think that you're gonna get me i'm gonna watch everything that you're doing very intensely like most people say that they do right and I'm mm. sitting there watching him. He's doing weird shit. He's pulling off these tricks. And I'm like, you motherfucker, man. I don't know what you're doing. I can't see it. I can't see it. <laughs> and I remember this one guy at the bar. He was like, just kind of this macho dude. And he was just sitting there. He's like, no, I fucking know that you're doing a trick, bro. I know it's not real. I, I fucking know it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, like, like you're doing something. And I'm like, yes. hey, man. Duh. <laughs> like, do you think that all of us here think that he's really doing magic? He's a, a, an actual real life wizard. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, Burn him. Like, <laughs> he's like literally just like, I'm not fucking stupid. I know it's not magic. I'm sitting like, look at this guy. I'm like, bro, no one here thinks that what he's doing is real. It's it's the fact that he can fool you like that that makes it so fucking cool. Yeah. And I just remember just sitting there thinking, I, I literally at the end of the whole thing, uh, everyone was like, just kind of sitting there in silence. And I was like, well, that's really fucking annoying. And then I just walked away because I couldn't figure it out, bro. It was pissing me off. So I think it's dope. I think it's super mm. cool. I really appreciate the talent and the illusion aspect of it. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I think they get a bad rap. I think it's, yeah. I, I never really thought it was like nerdy. I think any, anything can be nerdy. I think, you know, like where, I think everybody, we, all of the three of us or the four of us right now are nerds, all nerds. I mean, yeah, we definitely are. That's yeah. definitely true. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. here we are on a bumping Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah. yeah, talking about fucking. <laughs> and we're talking about magicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're nerds. Cross, did you get? Did you think of one? Man, I've been trying to think of one. Uh, bro, you got. I know we're. You got an unpopular opinion. I know you do, bro. I know you do. Everyone's yeah, got one w- that people don't like. Yeah, well, I don't know. There was some some things I was uh, concerned concerned with, but I haven't had any anything to drink. So. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, so uh, I don't know. Right now, I'm uh, trying to trying to see if I can find something, and uh, I just can't. You know, the the craziest thing is what's going to happen is as soon as we finish, you got to think. Then of one. it's going to be like. Damn, I got one a perfect one. I should have brought it up. Now, be honest but, with me. Um, did, did you Google unpopular opinions while we were talking about it? 
<laughs> we'll you, know you, you figured me out. Yeah. We have we use an AI program to scan Google. Yeah. <laughs> I'll know because I've been Googling. Right? <laughs> Wait a minute. I recognize that one. Well, I know with the AI thing, I was definitely like, well, AI, what is Oh, AI? yeah. Oh, what is oh, AI? What is AI? <laughs> oh, Artificial intelligence. Yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with AI, but not on a musical yeah. musical side. I, I, you know. I feel you, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have anything. Dang. That's all right. We're going to get you back on at some point because we want to – I've got so much that I want to pick your your brain about, man. Like you've had such an an incredible career, oh. and I just um, I'm really just so happy that you took the time to talk to us tonight, and and give us just a little bit of insight. I would love to talk to you some more, though. You got a lot that I feel like I didn't get to get to uh, talk to you about. So yeah, I want to do a part two just on your music and uh, you know what you're putting out and what that looks like in the future, man. That's really exciting stuff. Oh man, thank you, thanks, Chris. Yeah, thank, thank you guys, man. This has been, you know, I, I usually bomb at, at, you know, when we're doing interviews and stuff like that and talks. And so this is one of those comfortable things where I just feel like, you know, just just around friends and we're just sitting and just shooting. The- <laughs> uh, clip that and let everyone know the cross is now our best friend guys <laughs> um no man we again like uh it's an honor to just sit here and talk to you and pick your brain about stuff this has been incredible um me coming from a blues background and uh in that world it's just cool to get to hear your experiences and especially playing with legends that i i sat there listening to and and cutting my teeth on you know what i mean so it's just it's really an honor just to sit and talk to you, man. Thank you so much for, for taking the time with us. Thank, thank you. Thank you, guys. Really yeah. appreciate it. Much, much respect. Big time. Hell yeah, man. Well, um, yeah, uh, have a good rest of the night, man. We'll, uh, we'll wrap this up. And uh, again, just thank you for being with us. And we wish you the best of luck with everything. And we'll definitely hit you up about a part two. I, I, we got so much more to talk to you about. Yeah. And come back to Jackson okay. Jam sometime. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm working on working on that no i know i'm back uh in july i'm gonna be coming through florida fantastic we got um, some spots for you yeah and uh okay. i would love to i would love to come and play uh, sit in with you as well man it'd be awesome man wherever i am if you're there you you know my stage is your stage uh appreciate it so, man. hell yeah, yeah. any any time definitely I'll, I'll uh i'll reach out to you too about grabbing those uh those numbers and just uh you know exchange information so we can keep in touch okay cool cool all right man we'll have a good night thank you again Uh, oh you guys too you have a good one thank you all right man peace 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 peace